This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome back. It's so good to be back with you. I missed you guys on Thursday last week. I was actually in Glacier National Park on Thursday. No, I was not. Okay. Scratch that. I was in Glacier National Park on Friday in the middle of the winter. It's so beautiful to see Hakadosh Baruch Hu's incredible mountains, which are so majestic and so beautiful. But then when you get to see them just covered in snow and this shrouded in quiet grandeur, it's absolutely amazing. And I want you to know that when I was there, I was thinking of you. Okay. And on Thursday, when we were not having class, I was like, oh, man. So even when we're not having class on Thursday... I am missing you, which leads me to my appreciation for today. Number one, I appreciate all of you for coming on, uh, for being with us every week on our prophets, uh, sorry, our, our Thursday Parsha class, Power of the Parsha. I appreciate you whether you're watching now on Zoom. If you've got your camera on, I appreciate you extra. If you don't have your camera on, I appreciate you still. And if you're watching this on Torah anytime or any other, or listening to it on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to this, thank you. I really appreciate you for coming and joining in this class. I also appreciate the incredible staff and the people of Yeshua Beth Yehudah and Partners Detroit for allowing us to do this learning and to keeping us going for all these years. And I thank the amazing people over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website, and it's got millions of hours of incredible Torah content. What they're doing, and they literally provided for the last two years more than 10 million hours a year downloaded of Torah content, of people consuming Torah content. They are unreal. They're amazing. Feel free to check them out on your time and get jiggy with it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Teruma, which means donation, to give. Now, I'm going to start, I want to talk first about something that's very, very, it's, it's a very famous idea. Sometimes I try to come up with a brand new idea. This idea I'm going to talk about something in a, in a very, very famous idea, but I'm hopefully going to bring up a few different ways of looking at it that are novel and new. And on top of that, I'm also going to try to, at the end, bring up on a point that I don't think is a famous idea that hopefully you'll know. And then maybe at the end, and then, 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 if we still have time, after all the incredible Torah we're about to learn together, uh, we'll get to a different point as well, which is kind of cool. Okay, so this week's Parsha starts off. Let's give a little context in terms of when is, is this week's Parsha, when is this week's Torah portion spoken of? So, the Jewish people are in the desert. They get the Torah at Mount Sinai. It's pretty amazing. They get, so to speak, married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They come into this incredible covenant. God lifts the mountain over us like a mountain, like a, like a, like a chuppah. The chuppah, we go to what we sit, when we get married, we go under a chuppah, right? And that's like a, there's supposed to be something, a canopy on top of you. That's what the word chuppah means, covering you. There's a covering over the couple sitting as they stand together and get married. God covered us with the cloud, with the mountain, sorry, with, with, with Harsinai as we got married together. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He spoke to us directly. One of the things he told us is don't serve other gods. Of course, the Jewish people, 41 days later, were dancing around a golden calf. God was going to break up that relationship. Moshe went back up to the Shemaim, said, please, God, don't do that. And we're going to, then he, Shem comes, Shem says, fine, okay, I won't, I won't destroy the Jewish people, but I don't want to, I don't really want to hang out with them. I'm going to send an angel to take care of you. You'll have all your needs met, but I just don't want to be with you. And then Moshe says, goes back up for another 40 days, begs Hashem, please let us come back. We want to be together. We don't want to just be in a relationship with you where you're taking care of us by escrow. You've got a proxy. You've got an angel taking care of us. We want to be close and intimate with you. And then finally, after that 40 days, Hashem says, Salachti kidvarecha, I have forgiven you as you have spoken. That is Yom Kippur, the very first day 
the first Yom Kippur that we know of in history where there's a major, major reconciliation, and Moshe comes down with the second set of luchos, which is proof that God has forgiven us, and the very next day, this week's Torah portion opens up. As soon as Hashem has really forgiven us, how does He prove that He's forgiven us? He says, let's move in together. Let's build, why don't you guys build me a house, and I'll move in with you, which is just the most incredible, wild thing. God saying, I'm going to move in with you, human beings, on this world. So, and Hashem speaks to Moshe saying, Speak to the Jewish people. And let them take for me a donation. From any man or woman whose heart motivates them. You shall take my donation. And then it goes through all the different items that you shall take in order to build the, 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 the Mishkan, this tabernacle. And then the entire parsha literally goes through the step-by-step architectural plans for this incredible location, this house of man and God. Now, everybody points out the following idea. And again, the idea is not going to be, you might have heard it before, but hopefully we're going to flesh it out and make it so exciting, (coughs) excuse me, that by the time you're done this class, my goal is that you rush to the nearest phone or, or, or computer to just give a major donation. All right, here we go. The famous question is, it says that you should speak to the Jewish people, and they should take for me a donation. Now, I don't know about you, but most people give donations, right? Now, obviously, there there are people who don't have, and they have to take a donation from somebody else, but we're talking about the givers now. We're talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people should give a donation. It should say, They should give to me a donation, but instead it says, And they will take for me a donation. So, how do we understand this? Why? When we're for, This is really the first time where the Jewish people are being called upon to open their wallets and give generously. This is the very first time in the Torah that we see, there's been, there was times where... where, where, where People promised Hashem that if Hashem took care of them, right? Yaakov promised Hashem, if you take care of me, then I will give you Miser, right? I will give you a tenth of everything. Whatever you will give to me, I will give a tithe to you. We know that when Avram won the great spoils of war, he gave them, he gave Miser to Malki Tzedek. He gave 10% to the Kohen of the time, the priest of the time, who was Malki Tzedek. But here is the first time where the Jewish people are being asked, open wide your wallets and give generously. So this is, remember, the first time you see something in the Torah is always the most fundamental. So we're going to talk about it at length today because I really want to like, just flesh this out because this is such an important idea. Okay. When you give money, right? Again, the question is, why does they say they shall take from me a donation? It should say they shall give to me a donation. The answer is, You are not giving. When you give a donation to your local synagogue, when you give a donation to a yeshiva, when you give a donation to an organization that feeds people who don't have enough food, you are not giving. You're buying. You are buying. You're buying a commodity. What is that commodity called? That commodity is called charity. What is that? What, 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 what are you buying with this? Okay, so I give money now, right? I walk up to, you know, Yad Ezra 
or Yeshiva Bet Yehuda, even better, the parent organization of Partners Detroit that enables you to learn so awesomely on Thursday afternoons. And you say, I want to donate some money to Yeshiva Bet Yehuda or to Partners Detroit. They're doing so much good for the world. So you open up your checkbook, you write out a check, $100. You go to the office, let's say, imagine, in a pre-COVID world, now you of course can do it over online with your credit card. You go to the office and you give them $100. What happened to this transaction? Are you giving your money away? No, you're buying. What are you buying? So of course, you're buying eternity, right? You're buying olam haba, which is priceless. Because olam haba goes on for eternity, right? Let's say, for example, you could go to the store and for $5, you could buy a, a, a thing of apples, but these apples it would be the, called the eternal apple sack, Right? I know that in the non-Jewish world, I believe at Olive Garden, they have the endless pasta bowl. <laughs> Something like that. You know, they're like, they're like, I think that's what it's called. Right? I, I, I'm not sure. If anybody knows. Well, don't, don't, I mean, don't admit. No one knows what goes on in Olive Garden because it's not kosher. But anyway, the bottom line is, they have, they have, I think it's called like the endless pasta bowl. So you pay, I don't know, $20, $15, and you can just fill up your pasta bowl forever. Imagine if you can go to the grocery store and you buy a... A sack of apples, you know, a five-pound five, five pound bag of apples. But it always replenishes itself forever. How much would that bag of apples be worth? Not $5. I mean, if you like apples, it'll be worth probably, I don't know, it depends on how old you are. you got to call up your accountant. It's like an annuity, you know what I'm saying? It's like you call up your accountant, you say... Okay, I want to buy the endless bag of apples. I really like apples, and I probably eat two a day. How much should I pay for the endless bag of apples? Then he takes down your age, your health information. It's like, like literally like buying an annuity or a life insurance product, you know? So anyway, the bottom line is they got to figure that answer out. But it would be worth a lot more than $5. When you buy, when you go and you give $100 to charity, or $5 to charity, that pays out forever and ever and ever. So that's really a priceless commodity that you're buying there. But wait, there's more. What's more priceless than Olam Abba? Olam Abba, the eternity, the world to come, Garden of Eden, being able to bask in the Garden of Eden and enjoy the euphoria forever. What is even better than that? Can anybody tell me anything that's better than Olam Abba? If you can... Put it on the chat box. Okay, and now I'm going to do something that's not really fair to everybody because this might not help you, but I'm going to sing a tune. And this tune might tell you something that's better than Olam Abba, better than eternity. Okay, first of all, Hi, Safran sends me a private message saying Tigers winning the World Series. Uh, that, <laughs> that might be better than Olamaba for some people here in Detroit. Now, my mother, of course, who's on, she says learning Torah because she knows this special song. There's a song that some people sing on Simchas Torah that goes like this. Olam Haba is a good tzach, which means Olam Haba, the world to come, is a very good thing. Learning Torah is the best tzach. And then they go into this whole Yiddish phrase, which I'm not really sure. So we just sing, I don't really know all the Yiddish words to that song because I don't speak Yiddish. But 
It means something to do, like, let's just keep learning, because learning Torah is even greater than Olam Abba, right? Olam Abba is like a euphoric pleasure in the world to come that goes on for eternity, which is awesome, but learning Torah, sitting in this world, and delving into God's secrets, and studying Torah together is even better and even greater. But learning Torah is not the only thing that's better than eternity. You know what else is better than eternity? Learning Torah is one of the ways to get this. Learning Torah is a way to get what I'm about to describe, but there's other ways to get it too. Being a better human being. Ah, that's so much better than Olam Abba. That's so much better than the Garden of Eden. So we have to make up a new song. It goes like this. The world to come is a very good thing. Becoming a better human being is the best of thing. Becoming a better human being is even greater than the world to come. So let's become better people all day. Let's go on. So my mother says in, 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 in Yiddish, the song says, let's go on learning Torah more and more. So let's go on becoming better human beings because even better than all the incredible world to come that you can get in the, in, in the next world is becoming a better human being. And you know how you become a better human being? By doing this. Boom. This is the muscle. Here, watch. Like this. You take your hand. You put something in it that belongs to you. You extend it forward and you give it to somebody else. Giving makes you a better human being. The, the famous Kuntras HaChesed, there's a famous uh, like letter about kindness from the Mikhtav Elio, Revelio Lopian. And he speaks about, there's an entire like little book inside of his book called The, the Pamphlet of Giving. And he talks about, in this world, there's two poles. There's the giving and the taking poles. And God is a total giver. He doesn't need anything, so he just gives and gives and gives and gives. And, for example, babies are total takers. They can't give anything, so they just take and take and take and take. And your goal in life is to go from being a baby, being a selfish little baby, which is okay for a baby, but it's not okay for an adult, to becoming godlike. So your goal in life is going from being a baby, just takes and takes and takes, to being godlike, which is give and give and give and give. Unfortunately, we know so many people who are adults, but are such incredible babies. Just taking and taking and taking. So being a baby has got nothing to do with your age, it has to do with your behavior. If you're constantly taking from others and demanding more and more and more, that they give you more, they serve you more, they do more for you, they're never doing enough, they're never ever doing enough for you, then you're a baby, because that's what a baby does. But if you're giving and giving and giving, and people aren't even appreciating you, and you just keep giving, then you're like God. Because God gives and gives and gives and gives. And we often don't appreciate it, but He just keeps giving and giving anyway. So when you give charity, ladies and gentlemen, when you give charity, what are you giving? You're giving money. $5. $10. You're giving a hundo. You're giving a Benjamin, right? You're giving a C-note. And what do you get in return for that? Not only do you get an eternity of good, but you also get becoming a better human being. There's no better deal in the world. There's nothing better that you could spend your $100 on than giving it to charity, provided, of course, that you have all that you need. Okay? 
I'm not talking here at all about people giving beyond their ability to take care of themselves. So I want to make this very, very, very clear right in the beginning, because I'm going to talk hard and pushing for giving and giving and giving, but I'm not talking about giving to the point where you won't be able to take care of yourself. Okay, now, there is a verse in Mishlei, there's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 8, Mishlei Perak Yud Pasuk that says, Chacham Lev Yikach Mitzvos. The wise-hearted man will buy mitzvos. Again, it uses the language buying because it understands that what you're getting is worth far more to you. So let's go through the, the, the let's go through there's a little bit of class of economics over here. You go to the store and you buy a loaf of bread. It costs five dollars. It used to be three dollars. Now it's five dollars. Thank you very much. Alrighty, yes. This is temporary inflation. Temporary inflation, they've been saying to us now for about a year and a half. Temporary inflation. So you go to the store and you buy a loaf of bread for $5. Now that $5 is obviously worth less to you than a loaf of bread. Because you had the $5 in your hand and you exchanged it for a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread is clearly worth more. So when you buy something... The reason why you're buying it is because it's worth more to you. If you go to Starbucks and you get yourself a coffee, just a plain, Pike's Place, and you get a large one, I believe it's called a venti if I'm not mistaken. I don't speak Starbucks language. I refuse to play along this weird game that I've got to walk into Starbucks and change my language to tall venti I forgot what the midi. I don't. I don't. I don't even remember the names anymore. I don't really go to. I don't really like Starbucks. To be honest, they taste a little bit burnt to me. I don't really like. I, I. I actually get my coffee right here at home. I think it's a much better deal buying my own coffee at home and paying about. I think I, I actually made a calculation one time because I get. I put creamers in and splend. I put it. Here's my coffee. It's not. It's. It's a very indulgent coffee. Okay, three scoops of Taster's Choice coffee. Six Splenda. <laughs> A lot of water, about 23, I don't know, maybe 22 ounces of water, 21 ounces of water, about an ounce and a half of flavored creamer. I like to switch it up. Around this fall, I get pumpkin spice latte. During other times of the year, I get peppermint mocha. Right now, I'm on coconut cream. And some milk. Now, I made a calculation. My cup of coffee roughly costs about 45 cents. Now, if I, got, if I would get one, one of those flavored coffees at a store, it would cost me like $4, right? So I'm saving myself money every day, but I make my coffee at home. Now, I can take that three fifty, dollars and what can I buy with it? Tzedakah. That's right. I can buy eternity. So I'm standing, but, but let's imagine I wanted to buy the $2 coffee, the Pike's Place, whatever it is, the simple coffee at Starbucks. I'm giving them $2. They're giving me a coffee. Obviously, I want the coffee more than I want the $2, or I would have held on to the $2. Which is, by the way, why it's so important for us to shower the people behind the counter with thanks and appreciation. In order for you to buy that $2 cup of Starbucks, the many thousands of people who were involved, from farmers in Colombia to truck drivers who trucked the coffee over to the ports, to the people who loaded the coffee onto the ship, to the people who drove the ship from Colombia to New York Harbor, to the people who unloaded it, to the people who bought it, brought it over to the coffee roasting locations, to the people who operated the roasting machines, to the people who operated and cleaned the grinding machines, 
to the people who produce the packaging, to the people who package it over to your local Starbucks, to the people who bring it to your local Starbucks and, 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 and brew your coffee. You should be very thankful to them and show great appreciation. Some people are like, I paid $2 for this coffee. They should be thanking me. I can make it at home for 50 cents. Guess what? Make it at home for 50 cents if that's your attitude. Or else be appreciative to the people who obviously gave you something that you feel is worth more than your money. Or else you would have held on to your money. So whatever we buy, we believe, is worth more than the money that we have. Or else we wouldn't buy it. So if I'm buying... Charity, I'm buying it. It's because I know that what I'm getting on the other side, chacham leiv yikach mitzvos. If you're a smart person, you use your money wisely. Fools spend their money on foolish stuff. Chacham leiv, people who are wise, they always buy the best investments. So for example, if you speak to some, I once wrote about this, I actually made the calculation. When the Jordans came out, the first pair of Nike Air Jordans. I remember it. It was like 85 or 86, I believe. And in those days, we were not buying Jordans in my house. That much I can assure you. We were, you know, we were living on a very uh, careful budget, shall I say. Okay? And we were not buying Jordans. But if you went into Nike store and you went and you bought a pair of Jordans, the first pair of Jordans, the, the original Air Jordans, it cost $65. Okay? If you would have taken the $65 and instead said, you know what, I'm not, I don't need Air Jordans just because of the newest, hottest, coolest thing. I'm just going to buy the regular Nikes for $25 and take that $40 and buy Nike stock. Do you know how much that $40 would be worth today? I once I made the calculation, but it's, it's maybe $50,000. It, it, it's a crazy amount of money. It's a crazy, maybe it's 15000 even. Call 15000 So if in, in 1985 you were a smart person, you would say, I could wear these Air Jordans that will be the coolest thing in town and I'll be cool for all of a month or two months or even five months until the next set of Air Jordans come out. Or I could invest it and buy it and buy Nike stock. And then when I retire in 30 years from now, I'll have an extra $50,000. Wow, that would have been way, way, way smarter. Or even $15,000. So a smart person always knows the better buy. The better buy with your money is to use it to buy charity over luxuries. Now again, I'm not talking about somebody who's spending their money to buy bread and butter. If you're using your money to spend bread and butter, then you give a couple dollars. You definitely should still give charity because giving charity is part of the human life. But after that, you're good. I'm talking about people who are using their money to buy all kinds of luxuries. And I'm not even saying that you can't buy a luxury from time to time. But I'm saying, where are you spending the bulk of your money? Because charity is the best investment out there. It's a buy. You're buying, number one, all of eternity. And number two, you're buying becoming a better human being. Let's break it down in another way. I'm going to make a bracha here if you want to... Actually, yeah. There is something called a 401k. A 401k is a retirement plan. Not offered by all companies. Not offered by all employers. 
I don't know what percentage of employers in America offer a 401k plan, but I would venture to say that maybe, maybe half today. And a 401k plan is really cool if you're an employee. Because what happens is, let's say you make $10,000. The company says you're allowed to put in as much as 3 or let's call it 4%. Today, a lot of 401k plans are matching 4%. You put in 4% of what you make, which if you made $10,000 is $400. And the company matches it. They give another $400 too towards your retirement. Which means that you automatically, as soon as you give it, your, your value of what you put in just doubled. So by the way, if your company has a 401k plan, you should be maxing it out, if you can afford to, every single month. Because as soon as you put your money into your 401k plan, it already doubled. So you made 100% on your money immediately. What an amazing deal. So if you have a financial planner, most financial, and it's an income tax deduction, correct, sometimes, not all 401, it depends, yeah. But let's just go with the, the fact that you automatically made 100% on your money. Now imagine you had a company that said, we're not going to just match your 401k plan, we're going to double your 401k plan. So it means if you make $10,000, you put $400 into the plan, we're going to put $800 in. You put four, we put an eight. What a crazy deal that would be. Imagine if they said, we'll triple it. You made $10,000, you put $400 into your 401k, we are going to put in $1,200. Wow. Imagine if there was a company that said, we're going to 10x, we're going to 10x your 401k contribution. So you make $10,000, you put $400 into your 401k, we put $4,000 into your 401k. Everybody in the world would want to work for that company. That's what you get when you put money into charity. You put in $100 into charity and you immediately get eternity reward. What a deal. How much appreciation do we need to show towards those who accept and receive our charity? We have such an inverted reality in the world. The inverted reality in the world is that organizations, good organizations or poor people who are people legitimately in need, need to come and grovel before donors to try to get them to donate money. The reality is donors should be seeking out organizations. Let's break it down a little bit further. Let's talk Bitcoin. You know I like to talk, you know, you know I like to talk Bitcoin. Bitcoin today is about $37,000 of Bitcoin. Okay, definitely off of its original highs, of its most recent highs of 69000 in November. So Bitcoin is definitely down, but fear not, my friends. Hold on. Anyway, but let's go through this. A Bitcoin today is worth $37,000, roughly. You can sell it for $37,000, so it's worth that, and you would get cash. If you have one Bitcoin, you can sell it, you can get $37,000. People say, what do you do with your Bitcoin? Well, you can just sell it for cash, Right? And you, for every Bitcoin that you'll have, they will give you $37,000 and you can put it back into your bank account, okay? It's 36940 exactly, right now, as of this, this moment. Now, imagine there was a, a poor person in the world. But for every single, every single $100 bill that you gave him, 
you would get one Bitcoin added to your wallet. Can you imagine how many people would be tripping over themselves to get to find this guy and to give him their money? Right? I can imagine you give him a hundred dollars, and boom, in your Bitcoin wallet is one Bitcoin. It's crazy! What a deal! Okay, I got it. Bitcoin is worth thirty-seven thousand dollars today. You find this poor guy, you give him a $100 bill, boom, there's a Bitcoin in your wallet, and you cash it out. You can cash it out right now. People would be tripping over themselves to give this guy money. That's the deal that happens when you give charity. You give $100 to charity, and you get eternity, and you get becoming a better human being. The deal is insane. It is the best deal in the world. Now, the Beis HaLevi, Rav Yosef Dov Ber Soloveitchik, who lived from the year 1820 to the year 1892, passed away in the city of Brest-Litovsk, also known as Brisk. He says, all that you are, at the end of the day, is all that you gave away. All that you are is all that you give away. So imagine the following scenario. You have a fox, and he finds a little little wormhole, a little small hole, and he's able to climb into this vineyard. And in the vineyard are these beautiful, beautiful vines, heavily laden with delicious grapes. Maybe the grapes from the Shiloh Winery in Israel. So those are some of the best grapes in the world. Ah, Gushetzion Winery. I love the wines from Eretz Yisrael. Hashem is really, I said, Hashem is so amazing. Not only did he make this delicious thing called wine, but Hashem made it that the, some of the best wines in the world, literally, are coming out of Eretz Yisrael. In the entire world, I think my favorite, if I had to pick one region of the world that I would get wine from for the rest of my history, and nothing else, it would be Israel. Second would probably be California. I'm not a big French wine guy. I like some Chilean wines, some Italian wines, but ultimately... If you had to give me one place, he said, Lady Burnham, for the rest of your life, you could only have wine from one region of the world. It would for sure be Israel. Such delicious wine. So imagine this, this fox. He gets into the winery. And we spoke to one of the, one of the guys in the wineries in, 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 in the Gush Etzion area. I think it was Gush Etzion Winery. They told us that when they started planting vineyards, no one was planting vineyards there. There had been no vines there for years. The, the soil there is very, very tough soil. And the only reason why they planted vineyards there is because it says in the Torah... That in Yehuda's portion, it was going to be amazing wine. The eyes would be red with wine. There would be so much wine. The kibes beyayin levushor, that they'd be able to wash their clothing in wine. So the Torah describes that the best wine was going to come from Yehuda. So they said, how could we not grow wine over here? So they started growing wine. And the Arabs who lived there, for they were like, you can only grow olives. Olives, they can, they can grow in any hardy areas. You can only grow olives here. They said, look, we're going to grow wine. And what happened? The yield, it happens to be, it's fascinating, the yield is not always so good. The yield is not always so good because the wines, the, 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 the soil there is very tough. But whatever comes out of there is such delicious, incredible grapes because they had to like dig into this rocky, tough soil. And when they're able to do that, there may not be as many of them, but they are so good. Which kind of reminds me of the Jewish people. There may not be so many of us, ah, but we're so good. The Jewish people are so full of righteous, incredible people. Right? So, imagine this fox gets into the vineyard. There's a big, 
wall around the vineyard protecting these amazing, delicious, incredible, incredible grapes. And the fox is, finds a little, little hole and he's able to get into the vineyard. And there he is, a vineyard filled with delicious grapes. And he starts devouring them and eating and eating and eating and eating. And he's got a whole bunch. He takes, takes a whole bunch and he tries to get out. The problem is... Now, number one, there's not enough... He can't get out. He's too fat. He can't fit through the hole. He can't fit through the hole. He's gotten too fat over there. So what's he going to do? He's got to wait until he gets hungry again. But then he wants to eat grapes. He starts eating grapes. He can't get out. What's he going to do? So the fox and the mushal, the the sages tell us is, he's very smart. He realizes that what you got to do is Gotta take as many grapes as you can. Throw them over the fence. Then climb through the fence. And then you get your grapes on the other side. So too, in this world, how much could you enjoy? You've got money. What can you do with it already? Go out to eat again? Another lunch? Another dinner? Another Gucci belt? What are you gonna do with your money? Throw it over the fence! Let it wait for you over there when you come through. You can't bring your money with you, but you can throw it over the fence, and the way you throw it over the fence to the next world is by giving charity. There's another mushal also. They say, imagine you have a fly, and the fly ends up, one day he sees a a big thing of, of sugar, and flies love sugar. So he flies over to the sugar, and just when he gets there, boom, they close it, and he's in a container now. He's in a container with literally a, like a massive container. I don't know if you guys know this phrase. It's called a Gaylord. A Gaylord is in the shipping world. It's a huge, massive, very strong cardboard container. So he's in a Gaylord full of, it's like a pallet, but it's like, it's, like, it's like a big cardboard container. He's in a Gaylord full with one ton of sugar, 2,000 pounds of sugar. What's he going to do with it? So he eats his full. Okay, now what? He eats his full again. He can't bring it out. He can't feed his family. He can't bring it to the colony. He can't do anything. He's just a fly stuck with a mountain full of sugar. That's what a rich person is if they don't give charity. You're just a fly stuck with a mountain full of sugar. And you eat and eat and eat. But like after a certain while, it doesn't do it for you anymore. Like, how, okay, you eat sugar. Okay, it's great the first time. Great. But then after a while, okay, I'm just eating sugar, 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 sugar. It's pathetic. But you can give it to charity. That's the only way you get money. The only way you get value out of what you have is by giving it away. That's why, of course, the word nafsan, to give, is a palindrome. It goes both ways. The Gemara in Erevin says, the, char- the Talmud in Erevin, page 54a, Nundalat Amun Aleph, Im yesh lecha, heitev lecha, if you have money, do good for yourself. How? By giving it away. And the famous Medrash, which is found both in Rus Rabbah, Hey Tess, and Vayikra Rama, Lamedal Ches, that says, Yoser Mimasha Balabais Ose more than the, the homeowner does to the poor person when he gives him money, when he gives him cha- charity. Ha'ani Balabais. The poor person is giving, is doing for the, for the owner, for the rich guy. I give somebody $5. What am I giving him? Nothing. $5. What am I getting? Eternity. So what if he's a little bit nasty? Now again, let's go through this again. Imagine, you have this poor guy. You give him $100 and you get a Bitcoin. It just pops into your wallet and you could sell it. Now, 
it, let's imagine that that guy was, he, he wasn't, let's imagine for a second, he didn't have the best um, grooming habits. He didn't have the best hygiene. Let's imagine, okay? So you have this guy, you give him $100, you get a Bitcoin. But he, he smells a little bit. He, he doesn't have the best hygiene. People would still be tripping over themselves to invite, them over, invite this guy to their home. Please come stay in my house. All day I just want to give you $100. $100, $100, $100. I just want to give you money. And imagine if he was a little bit pushy. And he would make unreasonable demands of you. Would you then say, okay, no, you can't be here anymore. Go away. I don't want to ever see you again. So what if he's a little bit pushy? This, by the way, is, I'm just telling you a little bit personal. Personally, this is part of my challenge. I, I really, I, I love to give charity. I, I love, love, love to give charity. Sometimes you have a guy come to your house. And I try to, I, I invite everybody. My mother's on the, 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 the Zoom right now. So I can tell you, when I grew up, when I was a kid, anytime a person knocked on our door asking for money, my parents would invite them in, offer them something to drink, something to eat. They would often send me to go to the kitchen and get, you know, a, a cup of orange juice or something. So now, Baruch Hashem, someone knocks on our door. I invite them into the house. Can I get you something to eat? Can I get you something to drink? I'll sit, I'll talk to them, I'll schmooze with them, whatever it is. But sometimes they're pushy. And I give them a check, and they look at the check, and they say, this is not enough. Come on. No, you, no, no. you need to give me more. And I, I, I actually don't need to give them more. And the truth is that I, I, I have many people, Baruch Hashem, coming through my door. You know, I would say probably per year, probably, we live in Detroit, you know, and it's very interesting. If you, if you live in Lakewood, if you live in, in New York, it's L.A., it's probably very different. But in Detroit, we probably get maybe 250 visitors a year from Eretz Yisrael. And this year it's been less because of Corona, I guess. I don't know, whatever it is. But usually about 250 people come to my door, and I want to be able to give them all. And if I just give this person a double check or a triple check, like he's demanding, no, 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 you need, you know, you need to give me 360, you know, like, then I'm not going to be able to give other people. So I have to tell him no, but he's demanding it. And it's tough for me. Because I, I, I feel myself sometimes getting a little bit upset at these people. Like, stop it. Don't be like that. I, 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 welcome you into, I welcome you into my house. I was so nice to you. I was so friendly. I offered you something to drink. I, sometimes my daughters will bring them cookies for the road, you know, homemade cookies for the road. We, I, I try to be so nice, and I listened to you, and I smiled at you, and I wrote you a check, and I gave it to you, and I wished you well. And then you open it up in front of me, and you tell me it's not enough, and I need to give you much more than that. Like, excuse me. So I sometimes, I sometimes find myself getting a little bit upset. But I have to remember, imagine this guy was sitting in my house and I gave him $100 and he gave me a Bitcoin. And then he said, you know what? You need to give me more cookies. I'd be like, kids, get him more cookies. I give him another $100. He gives me another Bitcoin. He's like, you need to feed me a whole meal right now and I want chicken um, with these kind of curried spices and, and, and I want... A bottle of wine, yeah, open up that bottle over there for me. Would I be like, no, 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 dude. Now you're, out. no, 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 no. You're asking for too much. Get out. No, I'd be like, no problem. Guys, let's make some chicken. <laughs> Let me get you any bottle of wine you want. Anything you want. Just stay in my house a little bit longer. I got to find some more money so I can give you $100 more and you'll give me another Bitcoin. And you'll give me $100 more. I don't care how annoying you'd be. You could pick your nose in front of me. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. 
you are giving me the ability to get a Bitcoin for $100. That's how we have to look at charity. It doesn't mean that we have to give them more money if they demand more money. If someone's coming to my house and they say, well, you need to give me more. You need to give me double. You need to give me triple. You need to give me 360. You could very politely say, I'm sorry, but thank you so much for coming and I hope to see you next year. So we have to be able to remember they're doing so much more for us than we are doing for them. We're giving them a little bit of money. They're giving us eternity of bliss and the ability to be a better person. How much respect we have to have to people who call us and ask us for donations, to people in town. People call you from local organizations. I can't believe they're calling me again. All they're calling, they want $100. You get a Bitcoin for it. Do it! Don't be upset. Pick up the phone. And they're going to call you anyway. That's another thing also. Like, you have so many local organizations. And they're going to call you. They're going to ask you for a donation. You could either be so... Oh, thank you so much for calling. I love it when you call. Of course, I'm happy to give. It's the yearly... Yep, it's that year... You know, I have a lot of organizations here in town. They know. I give them pretty much the same thing every year. So it's not like we're having these major conversations. They call me. I thank them profusely. I give them my donation. They thank me. It's a great conversation. Everyone has a great time. Or you can be like, oh, I can't believe they're calling me again. Yeah, believe it or not, they're still an organization. They're still in your city. They're still doing amazing things for the people in your town. And they still need money. And you have the opportunity to give them $100 and get a Bitcoin. Go for it. Okay. There's a Gemara in Baba Basra. In Tractate Baba Basra, page 11a. There was a king named Munbaz. Rashi says that Munbaz was the daughter of Hilni Amalka, the queen Helene, from the Hashmonaim, from the Hasmonean dynasty. So it says the following, Tanar Abanan, Maisa ben Munbaz HaMelech, there was a story with Munbaz the king. He was a king and he had massive storehouses of wealth that had been with him. He had amassed enormous wealth and his fathers and his, the dynasty before him had amassed an enormous amount of wealth. And then there was a famine and people were hungry. So he just started throwing out all of his treasures to buy food for the people. But the people, his brothers... And his father's family, they all got together. They made an intervention. Right? One day, Munbaz, the king, walks into the dining room, and everyone's sitting there looking at him a little bit askance. And he says, is this an intervention? And they're like, yeah, this is an intervention. Sit down. We're all concerned about you. They have Amrulo. They said to him, Your fathers, they hoarded their wealth, and they added much more value to the family fortune. And you're going and wasting them. Amar Lahem, he said to them, My fathers, they hoarded money in this world down here, but I'm hoarding up there, where I'm going to spend way more of my time. I'll be here in this world for 80, 90 years. I'll be there for eternity. My fathers, they gathered money in a storehouse. Where is the storehouse? It's right down the block. We could be attacked and taken over by another kingdom and they'll drag away all our money in 10 seconds. My father has amassed wealth in a place where other people can come and take it away. 
If you have your money right here, the government can take it away. They just add more taxes. Somebody can hack into your, somebody can steal from your house. You have all kinds of beautiful things in your house. And you have a cleaning lady who comes and steals you blind. It's happened to us. It's happened to many of you, I'm sure. So you're hoarding your wealth. You're hoarding in a place where people can take it away from you. The IRS can come after you. Whoever it is, and even if you didn't do anything wrong, but they determined that you did something wrong. And if you're by all, you fight it out with your lawyers and their lawyers. And they come and they say, no, this is what you owe. And suddenly you're, boom, you're hocked in debt. There's so many things that can go wrong. You, you can, someone trips on your property and they sue you. And your insurance only covers up to this amount. And they, they end up getting a judgment against you. And boom, they owe you, you owe them tons of money. There's so many things that can happen. So our money is in a secure place. You, you, my father, Mumbaz the king says, he had it unsecured wealth. Could easily be taken over by the next conqueror. Which of course, if you know the history of the Jewish people and the state of Israel, it was conquered dozens of times. And each time the conqueror takes the money. I'm putting it away in a secure place. My fathers, they're sitting there, they got storehouses full of gold. Right? You've seen like these, you know, the, the pirate movies. They got this hordes of gold. Does that make any money for me? No, it's just sitting there. Golden pieces of eight. Golden coins. What is it doing for me? Nothing. The money that I'm giving out to charity is keeping families alive, and then it does more, and then all the kindnesses that it has continuously pays dividends. More and more and more. It keeps growing and growing, the kindness that I did. My father's hoarded money, and I'm hoarding lives. I'm saving human beings. I'm inspiring and saving people. When you give money to charity, if you give it to organizations that are doing kindness, you're saving lives. And if you do it to organizations that teach Torah, you're inspiring human beings. They're hoarding gold. I'm hoarding humans. My father saved up all their wealth. And what happened? They just went to somebody else. I'm doing acts of kindness that will accrue to me. My father has accrued money in this world, and I'm accruing money. As the Pasuk says, and your charity will go before you, the glory of God will be your reward. Give generously, guys. Take what you, again, I'm not telling you, don't give when you can't afford to. But just learn to love to give, to give and to give. It's the best deal out there. Furthermore, there's a famous story of Rav Anshul Rothschild. The, the scion, the starter of the Rothschild dynasty. One day he was walking out of the bakery with his sons and they were holding five delicious, beautiful, warm, fresh rolls. Ah! Brioche buns, right? The nice, the brioche rolls, the thick, buttery, delicious, sweet. Mm. And they're walking out of the bakery, they're on their way home from Shachris, they're going to come home, they're going to make themselves a nice... Uh, I don't know, a nice omelet, or they'll give it to the people. That, that, I'm sure they, at this point they probably had people in the house who worked, but they said, let's get some fresh bread for our, for our breakfast. They're walking out, and there's a poor guy sitting on the street. He says, please, please, can I have something to eat? I haven't eaten in a day. So if Anshul gives him two of these big, fresh rolls, and they continue walking home. 
And he turns to his sons and he said, how many do we have left? They said, we have three. You gave away two, we have three left. He said, no, no, no. There are, going to be, there are two left. He says, because the three that I have in this bag, they'll be gone by the end of the day. But the two that I gave away will have for eternity. We have two rolls left. Because they will stay with us forever and ever. It's amazing. The deal, again, you give $100, you get a Bitcoin, you get so much value. And again, the greatest value is not just that you give money and you get eternity, that you become a better human being. Now here's what I want to point out. There were 15 items that the Parsha talks about giving to the Mishkan. Here we go. Let's read them through. Vizos This is the donations that you shall take from them. Zahav, gold, ukasef, and silver, unachoshes, and copper. Utecheles, and turquoise wool. Ve'argamon, and purple wool. Ve'solas shani, and scarlet wool. Vishesh and linen, Vizim and goat hair, Vaoros Elim Maadamim, red dyed ram skins, Vaoros Techashim and Tachash skins, Vaatseshitim and Acacia wood, Shemen Lamaar, oil for illumination, Bisamim Lashemen Hamishcha Ulukhtaras Asamim, spices that will be used for the anointment oil and for the Aromatic incense, the Ketoras. Avne Shoham, Shoham stones, the Avne Miluim, and stones that will be fitted for the Aphod and the Choshen, two of the garments of the Kohen Gadol. There are 15 items that you bring to the Mishkan. Why 15? 15 is a number we see all the time in Judaism. King David said 15 Shir Hamaloses, 15 songs of ascent. It was the, he had to say that in order to bring the water up in the temple times. Long story, but not for right now. There were 15 steps leading up from the lower area into the, the base of Migdash. From the Ezra's Nashim to the Ezra's Israel, as you were going into the temple. And on those 15 steps during the Simchas Beis Shoeva, they would have thousands of people playing beautiful music with all kinds of instruments on those 15 steps. When you say Yishtabach, there are 15 forms of prayer that you say, for, for you, God, it is fitting for us to give 15 for, forms of prayer. Shir Ushvacha. Halel v'zimra, oz u'memshala, netzach, kedula, u'gvura, tila, v'sifaris, kedusha, u'malchus, berachos, v'odaos. Fifteen. I didn't translate them because like, it's too many synonyms, I don't want to get them wrong. There are fifteen items donated to the, base, to the Mishkan. Why fifteen? So my friends, the number fifteen is a very important number in math. The number 15 is 7 plus 8. 7, Kabbalistically, always represents Teva, nature. 8 always represents Lemala Teva, above nature. The process of going from nature to above nature is 7 plus 8, which equals 15. So the number 15 always represents the journey of becoming from a natural person to a supernatural person. When you give, you go from being 
a natural person to a supernatural person. Naturally, we are selfish. Naturally, we want for ourselves. Naturally, we want to amass, we want to hoard, we want to gather, we want to bring in more and more and more and more for ourselves. Give me more. That's a natural tendency. The famous book by Stephen Hawking, The Selfish Gene. We want to just amass more and more and more. So when I, instead of taking, I give, I go against my nature. When I do something that's not within my nature, I'm going to the supernatural side. When I give, I'm becoming supernatural. I have a hundred dollars in my hand. I could use it to buy myself another pair of shoes. But I have enough shoes already. That's the good news. Baruch Hashem, I have enough pairs of shoes. I can also use it to give to charity. That's tough because I like shoes. If I am willing to put aside my desire for another pair of shoes and instead to give it to somebody else who needs it, I just went and became supernatural. And that's why the number of items used in the very first action of tzedakah in the Torah, the very first cheruma, the very first action of giving was 15 items. Because 15 describes the process of going from 7 to 8. 7 plus 8, you were your natural self, and now your new self, new and improved, better and supernatural you, you just became supernatural by giving. 15 items given to charity in this week's Parsha. Okay. One final idea. In this week's Parsha, we read about the various vessels that were made in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Mishkan, sorry. The first described is the Aron. The Aron was the Ark that held the Torah of all the different items that were in the Mishkan. This one represents Torah wisdom. On the top of the Ark, which contained the Luchos, the tablets, as well as the Sefer Torah written by Moses, was the Kaporas, was the covering that had the Keruvim, the cherubs. Says the Pasuk, on Parak Chafhe, Pasuk Chaf, Exodus 25, 20, And the cherubim will be with wings spread upward, sheltering the cover with their wings, and their faces will be towards one another. So you have these two young, childlike faces, the cherubs, on top of the ark, the cherubim, and what are they doing? They're facing each other, says the Balaturim. Why are they facing each other? Like two friends who are studying Torah. The Ark represents Torah. Inside of it was the Torah. And the two faces on it are facing each other directly. Which shows us an amazing idea that when it comes to Torah study, we all have to face each other as equals. Cognizant of the fact that every single Jew has a part in the Torah that belongs to them. And there's no, even if you're a scholar who's studied your whole life, you still should listen as an equal to the questions of everybody you encounter. Because you never know when somebody's going to ask you a question 
or give you an idea that you've never heard before. One day of the many books I want to write is a book that I want to call Mikom Lamdai Iskalti, which means I learned from so much from all my teachers, and I want to just make it from questions that people ask me when I learn with them. I learn with so many people, Baruch Hashem, and so many people ask me these questions that I've never thought of before. And together we come up with an answer. And this Torah that I never would have had before if I just said, you're going to listen and I'm going to teach. Besides that, it wouldn't work. I went on a trip to Israel with a bunch of men and we stopped off at a kolel. Rabbi Berkowitz is kolel. Rabbi Berkowitz is one of the great minds of our generation. He's an incredible, incredible human being. And we all learned with various students in his kolel. And then afterwards, he gave us a little class. In the middle of the class, he said something, and he and I started to argue. And we were going at each other. Now again, I am a little nobody compared to the brilliance and the Torah knowledge of, 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 of Rav Yitzchik Berkowitz Shlita, Rav Yitzchik Berkowitz. However, in this area, we were arguing, and he still thinks he's right. I, I, we, we, we have not come to a conclusion on this one. We didn't end up resolving it. And I feel like I have some really, really valid questions on what his stance was. We were going at each other, and we were arguing so intently. And then afterwards, it was time for us to leave. So we went away. We, of course, shook hands warmly. He enjoyed the conversation, the discourse. I enjoyed it. And all the men who are on the trip, they had never been really part of a, a Torah learning session before. And they couldn't believe it. They were like, they couldn't believe that I could have a conversation with this rabbi and argue it out with him. And I said, you could have also. Like, any one of you could have. The Torah belongs to all of us. The box that holds the Torah, the way Torah is studied and discussed, is when we all recognize we can all learn from one another. We all have valid points in Torah. If the minute I think I'm above you, then I can't receive from you, and you have Torah that I can't ever fathom, that you need to unlock. It's your Torah. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being involved with me, learning with me, asking questions, and being part of this beautiful discourse, and recognize that you have just as much of a chalik in the Torah as anyone, any other Jew. We're all equal when it comes to learning Torah. Go ahead, find your Torah portions, the wisdom that you have to give to us in Torah. Find it, seize it, and bring it out to the world so we can all benefit from you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.